Well, good morning. It's good to see you again, many of you again, as we were able to be together last Sunday, a few of you maybe for the first time, and I'll just continue to echo the sentiments, of course, that have been said already that it is good to be together again. I kind of feel like uh, we're still warming up some, you know, we need to get up here and do a few exercises and stretch. We're still kind of getting back into the swing of things. But we're thankful for the opportunity to be together. And certainly, again, we're thankful to many people who have made this possible, our elders, and they're uh, laboring over this decision, the decision that they had made. Uh, We're thankful to Gary uh, Grove, Jerry Renfro, and others who have helped with the building and getting things ready here and sanitizing and helping us in that manner. And certainly Brian and others who have worked with the technology side of things, the live stream. We were able to get a new computer in this week to try to help with the live streaming and maybe have less hiccups. And we're thankful for all those who have been able to take part in helping in those ways. And hopefully uh, those folks who are not able to be with us that don't feel comfortable getting out yet can join us again soon. I will mention, I don't think I gave Gary all the information, but uh, the Janice Jeter that we mentioned, that is Faye Brown's daughter uh, that has the cancer diagnosis diagnosis and possibly looking towards surgery. And so we want to uh, certainly pray for her and lift this family up in prayer. And we're thankful for all those that we can continue to pray for, a part of this congregation who are struggling with various illnesses at this time. We're going to begin this morning a sort of two-week mini-series, if you will, uh, of lessons. And these lessons are somewhat different, and you'll see if you're able to be with us next week, uh, but they're somewhat different by the means uh, of the main topic of the lesson, but there is an underlying principle that we want to talk about. And so this morning, it is necessary for us, before we really get into the thrust of the lesson this morning, to talk for just a few moments about division. You see, when we think about division, it's something that's not new to us or new to Christians. When we think about our lives We think about the history of the world as we know it, as we read about it on the pages of the Bible. It's another one of those things that we can trace all the way back to the very beginning. I feel like a lot of things that we say sometimes, and of course, unfortunately, a lot of negativity, uh, a lot of of not happy things, not happy thoughts. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 into the garden there, and many things and many issues began there. And so we go all the way back to the garden and we think about division beginning in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. Now, certainly Adam and Eve weren't divided, but we know that sin takes place and Adam and Eve are then divided from God. The passage that we usually refer to when we think about that, of course, is Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, that remind us that it is our sins that separate us from God. It is your sins that separate you. It's my sins that separate me. But there is division from God when there is sin in our lives. And so we go all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3, and we see that there is division. We move forward, and there are certainly more occasions, but we think about 1 Kings chapter 12. You may recall in 1 Kings chapter 12 that Rehoboam does not heed the wise counsel that he has given, and there is division. We actually call it that. We call it the divided kingdom. The children of Israel are divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and there is division, once again, among God's people. When we think about this, when we move forward into the New Testament, there were Jews and there were Samaritans. How many stories do we read about, especially in the New Testament there, of the way that people would avoid the Samaritans? We think about the, the foundational principle, one of them of the good Samaritan, is the idea uh, that people wouldn't touch Samaritans. And of course, in a broader sense, it moves from the Jews and the Samaritans to the Jews and the Gentiles. In fact, we've said from this pulpit before that maybe the two categories of people during that time where you were either Jew or you were Gentile. 
There's division all around. There's division almost on every page of the Bible as we move forward from Genesis all the way to the end. And we think about our world even today. In fact, it's amazing to think about the words of Jesus. In John chapter 19 and verse number 30, as Jesus is hanging there on the cross, as Charles led us in such good thoughts a few moments ago, as he is dying on the cross, he says, it is finished. It is finished. And I would say that that maybe it's more than just the reign of sin that was finished at that time. It's more than just the end of the law of Moses that was finished at that time. But the division that exists between individuals was finished at that time. Paul would go on to say that he tore down the middle wall of separation. There would be no more division or should be no more division as he cries out, it is finished. But of course, that was not the only time that something like that was said. Back a couple of pages in your Bible in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, particularly verses 20 through 26 Jesus' prayer there is that they all may be one. That they may all be one. If you have a heading in your Bible, it may speak of Jesus' prayer for unity. See, division's always been around, but we might say this morning that while division is always present, it has never, it has never been God's desire. We think about that the, the hurt that God probably or possibly felt as Adam and Eve committed that sin there in the garden. We know the pain that God felt in Genesis chapter 6, moving forward, when the thought of man is only evil continually, and God is sorry, God is repentant that he has made man. And of course we know the terrible sin that put Jesus on that cross, the sins of the world, the sins of you and me that caused him to have to hang there to shed his blood, now, God has always desired unity. He's always desired that we would be one. But when we look backwards, we see that division has always been present. Our world has turned into a bit of an odd place, all right? If we're just being honest, right? We, we've seen things that we thought we would never see or maybe that we never even imagined before. We, we've learned new vocabulary, We've seen old habits go by the wayside. I saw many of you last week reaching for that handshake, right, or walking by and putting those arms out, and we all kind of have to draw back because there's things that we thought we would always do that now have become something that maybe we shouldn't do, at least for a time. We've seen odd pictures, things on the news and on the Internet that don't make sense to us, empty restaurants and empty streets that they don't make sense to our normal way of life. And when we think about the world around us, it's a place that we don't recognize. Now, there are and have been many dangers or several dangers associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. Of course, ultimately, there's death. There have been many folks who have lost their lives in a tragic way, and that is one of the dangers that has caused us to even put our services on hold for a while, or at least our ability or our desire to meet here. We put it on hold because we don't want to see anyone lose their life. Death has certainly been a danger. There's been permanent health damage, right? I mean, many folks who might have survived, maybe they got out of the hospital, but their lungs will never be the same because of the health damage that has come about because of the coronavirus. These are serious issues. These are serious dangers, but maybe as we talk this morning, there is a hidden danger that goes along with the COVID-19 pandemic. And as we've already set the stage for a couple of weeks of lessons here, 
maybe the hidden danger, just maybe the hidden danger is division. You see, this is what our world looks like right now. Our world looks like people who are eyeing one another in the store. People maybe who have masks on and are eyeing people who don't have masks on, even to the effect that almost a month ago, May 13th in San Antonio, was just one of the numerous examples of someone in a store without a mask who was accosted by people who were, and before you know it, it comes to blows, and and the police are called, and something happens, and of course in today's society it's recorded uh, on cell phone, on video for us to see, but people don't feel comfortable going into stores one way or the other, and even becomes physical at times. We have friends who won't speak to each other because of division in these types of regards. I've even heard of a preacher mention recently that there was a Baptist church in the Huntsville area who had said they were going to do something similar to what we've done here. There, there's pews marked off and every other pews marked off. We're going to keep our distance. We're going to do our best to abide by the guidelines that, that our government has asked us to abide by. But yet at the same time, they had a group of people who all assembled in the front together, ignoring the blocked-off pews, sat together, no distance between them, and then throughout maybe the beginning of service or before service started, would then make fun of the people who showed up who did have masks on and began to cause trouble there in the auditorium, I would assume, because there were a group of people who didn't want to do it, and they were going to make fun of people who did want to do it. And this is what our world looks like, including this same preacher that I was listening to mention that there is possibly a church of Christ in the Huntsville area who's going to split because folks want to wear a mask and some folks don't want to wear a mask. Let me say this, perhaps the hidden danger of the COVID-19 pandemic is division. And hear me clearly, it's not the worst. Okay, people who have lost their life, that is terrible, that is tragic, and we are very sorry for that. People who have permanent health damage, that is not good. And those things may be the worst because we lose people here upon this earth, but it is there. And, and I'm here to tell you something this morning, okay? And I want you to, to take it in, all right? Take a, take a deep breath because if you're not aware, there's a lot of tension in our world today over lots of different things, right? There's lots of tension over lots of different issues, but we need to listen carefully sometimes to things. And so I want to tell you something, and I want you to write it down if you've got your bulletin in front of you, but I think it's fair this morning that we make this statement. We are not the only generation. We are not the only generation to have a potentially divisive issue arise for which faithful Christians disagreed on both sides. We are not the only generation to have a potentially divisive issue arise for which faithful Christians disagreed on both sides. We're just not. It's not the case. Some of you have lived through it. Some of you can look back at situations that have taken place in the church and you've said, this is not the first, and it's painful in the moment, and it's a danger that is coming about because of this pandemic, but we are not the first group of people to ever go through this. So the question this morning is, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? Well, before we get to some actual active things that we can engage in, let's de define a little further what we're talking about. I'm going to share with you about seven or eight things on the screen here. And I want you to pay careful attention and think about the phrases that are being said. Number one, some people say, I'm compromised 
because of my age or a previous health condition or a previous health issue, and that reduces my immunity, and I don't think we should be meeting yet. I don't think that I should get out amongst a crowd and be gathered with people together yet. I feel like I'm compromised. I'm at risk. Once again, we've added kind of new vocabulary or vocabulary used in a different way in our world today. And so some people say that, that I don't think we should be meeting, and I'm certainly not going to attend. Number two, some people say my loved one is at risk. And I fear that going into any public assembly, any public gathering, but I fear doing that because my, I may unintentionally bring it home. I might bring it back to someone who is at risk, maybe a grandparent or, or someone, a parent that I interact with fairly often. I have to interact with them. Maybe I go get their groceries or, or help them do things. And, and I'm afraid that, that I might bring it home. Then some people go a little further and they say, well, the virus germs are in the air we breathe. And many people have it without knowing it, so I'm just going to get out. You know, some people, you've heard this phrase used, herd immunity. You know, we, we've got to have it. We have to get germs. It helps our body. And many people have it without knowing it, so I'm going to go. I'm thankful that we're meeting, and I want to get out, and I want to assemble, and I, I need to go to work, and I need to go to the store. And so some people, this is the phrase that they use. This is the position that they take. Even some more people say that this is largely a political hoax at this point. You know, we're in Tennessee. This isn't New York City. I've seen New York City on the news, but, but this is Chattanooga or this is Saudi Daisy, Tennessee or wherever it is that you may live. And, and we just need to get on with our life. You know, it's the facts that as of yesterday, about 29,500, close to 30,000 people in Tennessee have it. That's less than 1% of the population in Tennessee. So uh, we just got to get on with our lives. So we're going to get out again. We're going to go to the store. We're going to go to the ballpark if they're open. We're going to do whatever we need to do because we just have to move on with our life. Some people yet say, I wear a mask. I wear a mask. I consider people who do not wear a mask to be insensitive. Now, certainly you've seen a lot of that going around. People will say that it's very important that you wear masks, and they'll quote different things, and, and that's true. We try to rely upon the science that we have to, to help us with those things. And so some people say, I wear a mask, and you should wear a mask as well. But then other people say, I don't wear a mask. You know, in order to fight germs, as we said a moment ago, our systems must be exposed to these things. And so I don't want to wear a mask, and I'm not going to wear a mask. And if you want to wear a mask, that's fine, but I, I'm not going to. Even yet, some people say, you know, that we need to be strong and courageous. That's what the Bible says, right? That we need to not, need not fear things here upon this earth. Early Christians, they had to face something much worse than wearing a mask or much worse than, than the coronavirus or some type of pandemic. And so how can I call myself a Christian if I fail to assemble over something like this? You know any places that didn't cancel their services at all? I can't speak to every situation. I didn't try to keep up with it, but some, some places might have used that kind of example. They might have said, well, we have no fear. We're going to put our trust in God, and, and it'll be what it'll be, and so we're going to keep meeting. And if you fail to assemble, there's a problem with you because Christians should not fear. Some people even say, I, I, can't, I can't even look at my fellow church members sometimes because I, I can't believe that they would take that position. I can't believe that they would say that. Now, as we go through all of those, I, I would ask if you know what position I hold. And I hope not, because that's not my intention this morning. They were intentionally mixed up a little bit. I didn't try to put them in any particular order. But I have a feeling 
that I've hit every person in the room or any person on the internet who's listening to this lesson. I have a feeling that you've heard the others as well. Even if I hit yours, you've probably heard many of these other positions as well. And I have a feeling that you've had the thought that those other positions are crazy and anyone who holds to such a position must be out of their mind. The truth of the matter is it's really a tragic situation. That's, that's what it is. It's hurtful, it's frustrating, it's sad, it's painful, it's confusing. confusing. And the question this morning for us, the question that many have been asking is, what are we going to do? How do we handle all of these positions? If we listed seven or eight, and there are at least seven or eight people in this room who hold to one of those different positions, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? How do we handle those other folks in their, in their positions? How do we decide what to do? How do we go forward from here? We have to continue to look at one another. And we hope to be sitting next to each other in these pews. All of us back together again when the threat of this virus is over. We hope to continue to work together. So if we've got 68 or 70 people all holding to these eight or so different positions, what are we going to do? Four things from Scripture, and the lesson will be yours. Number one, we need to follow our elders' lead. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, and then later, but being examples to the flock. Our elders are tasked with a great and monumental task. A great work to do, so much so that oftentimes we can't find men to serve in the position. The elders had asked me back at the first of the year to be sure and preach on the elders and the eldership maybe once or certainly once, maybe twice during the year. We've talked about this since I've been here. The average age of our current eldership only getting older. The need for younger men to step up and to step into that role and to continue to lead this congregation. But in case you didn't notice... A lot of folks don't want to do that. Our elders all received a copy of the book last year or the year before, maybe around Christmas time. It's a book for elders, and you'll never guess what the title is, all right? It's quite fitting. It's called Awake at Night. I don't know if you've ever known an elder or an elder who was awake at night, sometimes for many nights in a row, struggling with a decision. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, 1 Peter 5, 2. What about Hebrews 13, 17? Hebrews 13, 17, obey them, speaking to us now, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls, as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. For they watch for your souls awake at night. Many of them spend that time worrying over things. I know you can imagine the struggles that they went through to make these decisions. And I won't ask for a show of hands, okay? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't expect you to. But how many of you thought we maybe should have been meeting a little bit sooner? How many of you thought we should have been meeting maybe a little bit later? How many of you thought we shouldn't have stopped meeting at all? What are we going to do? Well, we're going to follow our elders' lead. And I would submit this for your thinking this morning. Maybe, just maybe, perhaps God made elders for such a time as this. What are we going to do when we face any type of monumental decision? <clears throat> what are we going to do anytime we have a, something in front of us that we don't know what to do? 
That's why God made elders. To make the decisions, to to sit down and try to analyze every angle, for them to fret and worry, and for them to decide what we are going to do. And so when we think about all these different positions, and we think about how we're going to come back together again, and when we're going to have Bible class, and unfortunately, some of you may not have even recognized, we never actually put it on the calendar, but, but this was supposed to be VBS week, right? I mean, last Sunday, or a, this Sunday a year ago, I preached from the floor because we had the Missy stage set up, right? And all the set, ready to go for vacation Bible school. We didn't even talk about it, because most of us knew that that was something that didn't need to happen. But what if the elders had said we were going to have it? I know some places that have had one the last week or two. Now it's socially distant and it's not in the church building. It's different than anything you've probably ever seen before. But what did they do? I would assume they followed their elders' lead. What are we going to do? I hope that we're going to follow our elders' lead. Even sometimes when we disagree because I think this is not the only thing. I don't think God appointed elders just for the coronavirus, obviously. But for such a time as this that they would make the decisions and that we would follow in their footsteps. Number two, Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 1 through 3. Our last three points, and certainly we used scripture just a moment ago, but our last three points are going to come solely from the scriptures we'll look at. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, we are going to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul begins there in this famous chapter and in this famous section. If you go down to verses 4 through 6, you're familiar with the seven ones that are listed there. But he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, this is the phrase that I use. This is the phrase in your outline. But did you notice what else was said there? That I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul doesn't just leave it as keeping the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What else is sandwiched between those two phrases? With lowliness, with gentleness, with long suffering or patience, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. As we've already said, division is not new. Paul wrote these words kind of to me and you, certainly to me and you that we could read them today, but he wrote them to the church at Ephesus, who, by the way, probably, and maybe even certainly we can say, had a problem with division. Not over a pandemic, not over whether we're going to have multiple cups or one cup, not over whether our services are at five o'clock or six o'clock, But they had some type of division. They needed to be reminded that with all lowliness and with all long-suffering, with humility, with gentleness, bearing with one another in love, they were to be united, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. They were dealing with their own first-century division, and Paul says you have to be united. You can be united if you keep these mindsets, these attitudes in your heart and in the forefront of your lives. If we are going to handle all of these positions that we've already talked about, we have to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Number three, we go backwards in our Bible to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. What are we going to do with all of these different positions? Well, we are going to avoid strife. We are going to avoid 
discord. You know Proverbs 6, 18 and 19. Let me start you off. These six things the Lord hates, yea, yes, even seven are an abomination to him. Now, you know this because oftentimes we go here to use the beginning, or excuse me, the end of verse number 17, hands that shed innocent blood. I know the last time I think I might have even used this passage was in regards to the discussion on abortion or things such as that nature. We say God hates hands that shed innocent blood. He does. But what does it say at the very end of that passage? Ephesians chapter, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 19 one who sows discord among brethren. What are we going to do? What am I going to do if you say something that I disagree with? Well, I have to do my best to avoid discord. This usually, usually isn't the thing we name from this particular list of things in Proverbs chapter 6. But it's not just a Proverbs thing. It's not just a general life thing. It's a New Testament thing as well. We don't have time this morning to look through the many passages that talk about how we should work together, how we should avoid causing strife. But that is what we have to do. We promote unity by avoiding the strife and the discord that we can sometimes sow, even among brethren. Have you ever been hurt by a brother or sister before? That's a pretty loaded question because most of us would say yes. Do you remember the pain that came along with that? Because the phrase that usually accompanies that kind of idea is, you know, it really hurts when my coworker does something to me, stabs me in the back, says something about me, is gossiping about me. But most of the time we say it really hurts when a brother does it or a sister does it. Avoid sowing discord among brethren. That's what we must continue to strive to do. And then fourth and finally, from John chapter 13. What better place to conclude with this morning than the words of our Lord, John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus has given the ultimate example in that he's washed the disciples' feet, right? He's gone through that act. He's actually done it. He's not just said, hey, you need to serve, but he's done it. He's, he's given the physical example of washing the disciples' feet, and in his speech, or speeches that continue on from there, the things that he's saying. John 13, beginning in verse 31, but continuing down through verse 35, he talks about the new commandment. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all, there's that little word again, A-L-L, all, all of the church, all of the world, all of our co-workers, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's hard sometimes to have that love because we disagree. Because somebody says something that, as I said earlier, we think is just crazy. I mean, how could you hold that position? Well, sometimes people do. And this is going beyond, of course, whether or not, again, we just meet at 5 o'clock or, or 6 o'clock. But oftentimes in life, and especially in regards to spiritual matters, we have what we call matters of judgment. Now, that's a whole other deep lesson when we talk about matters of judgment in general that we don't have time to get into this morning. But there are some things that we have to set aside and we can't split over those things. But what isn't a matter of judgment and what we must agree on right now is this. Would you say it this morning and you don't have to say it out loud? That I vow before God that I will not look on brothers and sisters who hold different views from mine in some private contempt. 
Would you be willing to commit to that this morning? Sounds like a marriage vow, of course, I vow, but would you be willing to say that this morning, to leave from this place or wherever you may be watching at home and say that I will not do that. I will not sow discord. I will try to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I will love my brethren so that all the world may know that Jesus loved us. Do you see how easy it would be to divide over these things? What are we going to do? We need to obey our elders, and all three of the final points could be lumped simply into we need to follow after Scripture. You know, I don't think that the COVID-19 pandemic will completely and totally destroy the church. I hope that I didn't paint a, a bleak picture for you that, that in six months to a year we won't even be here that the church will be completely destroyed. I, I stand firmly upon 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven that Jesus has won the victory. But like many other things, something like the coronavirus, something like other issues, it can and already has in some places caused great damage and division. After this lesson, if anyone wants to talk, let's talk. By the way, that's one of the main components, and I hope that you'll be with us next Sunday, or if you can't be, that you'll tune in. That's one of the main components of both of these main issues that we're going to talk about, communication. Let's talk. Let's talk about the things that we feel and that we think, and maybe we can come to an understanding, even if that understanding is on some things we might just disagree. Hear me this morning again as we conclude. The death and the health issues that are associated with this virus and pandemic are terrible. And they are sad. And we don't wish it upon anyone. But also, one of the hidden dangers is the division that can be done and is being done in the church. Between family members. Amongst friends. Between brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we close this lesson out this morning, the worst type of division that we began with at the beginning of this lesson is... The division that exists when we are separated from God. Maybe you're here this morning and you are separated from God by sin. You want to be right with God. You want to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins so that the Lord could add you to his church. We'll be singing a song of encouragement in just a moment to encourage you. Certainly if you're watching online or watching this later, we would love to study with you. At any time, the Lord's invitation is something that we extend at the end of a lesson, but it's always open because it's that important. It is the worst type of division that we be separated from God because if we're separated from God by our sins on this earth, we will be separated from God for all of eternity by our sins as we are then spending eternity where we have earned our place in the devil's hell. Not for all of eternity with God in glory, singing praise unto him, but separated from him when it's too late. You know, God gives us a choice, but only as long as we are here. And if you need to be baptized this morning, we'll be singing to encourage you. But maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you've done that in times past, but again, separation occurs. It's kind of like our earthly relationship. Sometimes you look at someone and you say, well, we've just drifted apart. We do that with God. We need to come back to him, and we're thankful to his second law of pardon that we can repent of our sins, confess them, and he is faithful and just that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. One of the great blessings of being here right now is to sing to one another and to God and to encourage one another. If you need to make a change, you can do so now as we stand together and as we sing.